I would ask you please to turn in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at chapter 21 and verses 5 to 8. Revelation chapter 21 and verses 5 to 8. Revelation chapter 21 verses 5 to 8. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Oh, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. And we began last week in verses 1-4 to seeing that very thing, didn't we? Last week we began to see the, the glories of the new heavens and the new earth, which God's people will be full participants in, full partakers of, when Christ returns to judge the world in righteousness. It is there that we read that the, the first order of things that was disrupted and corrupted by the disobedience of our first parents we read about how that first order will what it will melt away under the, the almighty and holy presence of the Lord when he returns. And at that time, what's going to happen? He's going to establish then a, a new order or the second order of things, the, the new heavens and the new earth. One, though, that will be established through the purifying fire of God. We likewise read last week that man groans for this, doesn't he? He groans for this day as well as all of creation groans for this day. Which teaches us something, doesn't it, about the redemptive work of Christ. As it teaches us that, that Christ did not come to discard what He created. But rather, Christ came to renew what it was that He created. Right? His de- redemptive work then assures all of us that when He returns to establish the, the new heavens and the new earth, one that will be renewed with, without corruption, that we will no longer then deal with sin. Right? There will no longer be rebellious people or rebellion. It will be a place free of all wicked devils and angels and people. It will be in the new heavens and the new earth that, that we will see the, the completion of, of Adam's original task as well, we said last week. If you remember, Adam's original task in the garden was to 
work and to keep the garden. To serve and to guard. To keep evil out and to maintain the purity and the order of that first temple garden with God. Likewise, he was to extend that temple presence, wasn't he, to the, to the very ends of the earth. And upon completion of that task, we said he would have enjoyed the, the new heavens and the new earth which that tree of life symbolized in the Garden of Eden. But Adam failed in his task, didn't he? But this is why then Christ came, comes as the, as the second Adam to fulfill Adam's original task and original goal. And that's exactly what he did. And because of it, a, a day is coming. Right? A day is coming, brothers and sisters, when, when man once more shall walk and talk with God. Right? A day is coming when there will be a, a great reversal that takes place where Jesus as the great prophet, priest, and king will ensure that eternal felicity shall be enjoyed forever without interruption as He translates us from the state that we are now in to a state of glory in heaven. A state of glory in which we will be unable to sin any longer, we said, as our, our will shall be perfected in glory. It is likewise in the new heavens and the new earth that we shall behold God face to face in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? It is there that believers shall populate the new heavens and the new earth as God had intended with Adam's original task in the garden. It is there that we find the, also the complete and total fulfillment of many of the Old Testament Scriptures and what they have to say. If you remember last week in, in verse 3, we read this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. And that is what the people of God have to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth. And the love of God we read last week will be such that as He bids us to come into our eternal abode that before we, we step foot He will as it were, with His own hand, wipe away all the tears from the eyes of His people, right? removing all those things that caused us heartache and pain and suffering, so that we might forever enjoy a blissful, wonderful, full, complete, and intimate communion with God in glory. And the certainty of this new age is such that in verse 5, John hears, He who sits on the throne say this, Behold, I am making all things new. It is this statement that enforces the certainty of the future new creation. Right? That, that this will occur. We can be certain of this. Which is why then he commands John to, to write these things down. It's a guarantee. He wants all to see it. This is God's guarantee to man. He is, re he is returning to make all things new. And so he says, write this down for these words are, are trustworthy and true. Well, the words are trustworthy and true because the one who will ensure them, right, himself, alone is he who is trustworthy and true. And so this leads us into our first point that we want to look at this morning, which is the one who makes new. Point number one, the one who makes new. Now in verse 6a we read this, And he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here, God Himself right, bears witness to the truth of what He has said. Right, God Himself does this. Now, as you all know, Alpha and Omega are the, the first and the last um, letters in the, in the Greek alphabet. Right, which is to say that right, God is, is the Eternal One. Beginning to end, and He fills up everything in between. Right? There is nothing outside of the sovereign knowledge and hand and decree of our Lord. Right? He, is, he is Lord of time. He is Lord of history. Not just the beginning and the end, but everything that is in between. This is the same title that Jesus uses of Himself in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. If you remember there, He says to John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so He as Alpha was before all things, and yet He Himself had no beginning. God has no beginning. He is the One though who, who made all things, who, who was the source of all things that we see today. He is the One that brought mankind forth. He is the One that brought everything forth that we see now and that we enjoy here upon the earth. And we learn that all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He who, who was also is the one who is. Okay? He also is the one who is. Which means what? That He now is presently reigning. That He now is presently ruling. That right now He upholds and sustains all things by His powerful hands. He is, he is governing all of His creation. He is bringing all things to their, their just and right ends. This is what Paul says in a text like Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Or what is said by Paul to the men of Athens in the Areopagus in Acts 17, verse 28. In Him we live and move and have our being. As we heard earlier in our call to worship. Right? We all have our breath right, from God, in God. And so we're, we're owing praise to Him. For He has created us. He is the one who is and who works out His good plan to its proper ends. And that proper plan that's going to come to end will, will one day end when He comes again, right? When He who was and who is will be the one who comes again, who is coming, who shall bring all things to their end, which is what we then read about in our text here. He will bring creation to its end. And He will do so in His manner, in His way, at His appointed time. And then He will make all things new, which tells us what? That brothers and sisters, we have no hand in it. He makes all things new. We have no hand in it. We cannot further His plan along one bit. We cannot usher in the, the new heavens and the new earth. He does it. But only He makes new. That power belongs to, to God alone. Not only to create from nothing, but to renew what He has created. And that power belongs to God alone. In fact, don't we see that actually demonstrated in our own lives today as well? The new creation will be consummated when Christ returns. But has He not already begun the work of making things new? Think of how He has begun that work even within us, with His, with his own people. When we read in verse 6, it is done. That's very reminiscent, isn't it? 
of something that Christ said in John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. And there, what was he talking about? The accomplishment of, of redemption. There is nothing more to be done. Right? Christ finished his task that he was sent to do, which was to atone for the sins of his people. And prior to our conversion and, and being made alive, what state were we in? One of death. Right? We were dead, Paul says, in our trespasses and in our sins. Now, some people would have us believe that, that it's kind of like we're floating in the ocean right now. And we just got our arms reached out for Jesus and we want Him to, to throw us that raft so that we can be saved. That's not the picture Scripture gives to us, is it? No, rather we are like buoys, but dead ones, just carcasses right, floating in the water, unable to, to raise ourselves, unable to make ourselves new. I mean, think about it. What does Jesus say about our need to be made born again to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? In verse 3, He says, Truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how does that happen? In verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So just like the wind, the Holy Spirit goes wherever it wills and wishes and breathes new life into whomever He wills and wishes and makes them a, a new creation in Christ. Now we can be certain that the ones that He is blowing that new life into and that He is making a new creation, that He is raising spiritually from being on ice to life as being those who the, the Good Shepherd has laid down His life for. And think of all the wonderful ways though in which we have now been made new today, presently, in our own lives by God. Right? He has taken us from serving our old father and now He caused us to serve He as our Father. Right? He, has, he has taken us out from the old curse, from the covenant of works, and He has placed us where? In a, in a new covenant, the, the covenant of grace. He has taken us from our old sinful ways and has now caused us to walk in His ways, new ways. He has enabled us to forsake our old thoughts and our old desires. And what has He now done? He's given to us new thoughts and new desires and new affections, ones that are heavenly. He has taken us off from the, the old beaten wide road that leads to destruction. And He has placed us on a new road. And on the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. He has given us to a new righteousness. A he has given us new life. He has given us a new relationship with Him. He has given us a new hope. All things that none of us here have the power to do on our own or, or achieve by our own might and strength. These all are things of God. And so when it says here in verse 6, it is done at the coming of the new heavens and at the coming of the new earth, we too must see that this is all of God. This is all of God's doing. He brings the world to the end. He ushers in the new age. He brings with it all the glories. He brings to fulfillment all of His promises that He made to His people. Some of that fulfillment is found in, 
in verses 6b and 7. Look with me there, please. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This leads us to our second point this morning, which then is the the blessings of the new age. The blessings of the new age. It is God who brings the new age. And it is God who blesses us in the new age. And, And two of those blessings here are highlighted in our text. The first is this. He gives to the thirsty the ability to drink from the spring of life forever without payment. Without payment. Now each of us knows what it's like to be thirsty, don't we? We know what it's like to, to have a dry mouth and, and to need something to drink and to have nothing on hand. And we know how uncomfortable of a feeling that is, don't we? And we want quick deliverance from that. And so we'll look to get our hands on, on just about anything to, to drink and to quench that thirst. What's this metaphor that, that Christ uses of the spiritual life that we need to find in Him? If you remember in John chapter 7, Verses 37 and 38, Jesus says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now think about this. Jesus has the monopoly on this water, does He not? It's His water. He can choose to distribute that water or not. We have no right. We have no claim to that water. We can't demand that water. And yet, what does God do? Being rich in mercy, what does He do? He he invites sinners to come and to drink. To be filled with it free of charge. He invites sinners to to come and and to take everlasting life without payment. For He knows that we can do nothing for it. Which is why He he sent His Son to to do something about it. To come and to die for lost sinners. So that the the dam that was holding back those those waters of everlasting life could be broken. That they could flow free out into the world. They could flow abundantly to the ends of the earth so that whosoever would believe on Jesus would would be filled with these these waters. Those who, who came to Christ in faith and repentance in belief of the Gospel, that they could receive these waters of eternal life. And in these waters, He offers what? Pardon, mercy, grace, life from above. All things that every single person who has ever walked the face of the earth is in need of, even if they don't know it yet. And the sole requirement, brothers and sisters, is to come to the foot of the cross with empty hands, Believing in He who died upon it and receiving the benefits of His life, death, and resurrection. And for all who have tasted those springs of water who sit here today, you know though that we still need to continue to go back to that fountain and drink more and more of it again and again daily in our lives. Right? There is a sense, isn't there, in our life today that we are both filled with the springs of eternal life and yet we are still wanting. Right? We are still needing more. 
It may feel at times in some of our lives, usually due to sin, that it feels as if that, that well, those springs of eternal life are, are running low in our life. Right? But we need to see that, that when we experience those things, that's not a fault in God, that's a fault in us. It's a fault in us because God gives us these waters to drink and to drink and to keep coming back to Him thirsting for more. And in fact, brothers and sisters, it is this, this water of eternal life that we drink now by the Word of God, which is a spring of eternal life for the believer. And yet, brothers and sisters, we can still look forward to the day in which we will be fully refreshed by the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. For, for there it is in the new heavens and the new earth that we will be fully satisfied with the eternal springs of God's water, where we will never, ever have to question again if that cup is full. Because it will always be full. The second blessing is this. To, to those who conquer, they will have His heritage. And God will be their God and we His children. Now, earthly fathers today, right? they, they live with their children when they are young. Earthly fathers... It is their job to, to provide for the needs of their children. It is children who oftentimes right, desire to know that their earthly fathers love them. Now, as earthly fathers, we oftentimes can, can fail right, in our task that God has, has given to earthly fathers. But we need to, to understand this, that our heavenly Father never fails, for He is the, the perfect Father. We experience God's love now. We taste of His good gifts now. He, he dwells in the midst of His people now. We need to see that. But in glory, right? in glory, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will dwell perfectly with our Father. Right? Where He will fill us up with His love forever and we will never have to question His love for us again. Where He will tabernacle with His people forever where we will dwell with our Lord, never to feel outside of His presence again. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will have everything that we need and more in abundance. And yet, brothers and sisters, do we not in part experience those great gifts of the new heavens and the new earth now? Right, this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. We read, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so see, we have, a, we have a foretaste of our inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth as sons and daughters now. Right? We experience now in part what we shall experience in glory. But to whom does that belong? To whom does glory belong? To who does this heritage belong to? Well, he says to those who conquer, doesn't he? He says to those who conquer. Which is to say that those who can look forward to these two blessings are those who persevere in faith unto the bitter end. Right? They are those who, who do not forsake Christ for the world. They are those who do not compromise themselves and spiritually adulterate themselves with this world. And yet, brothers and sisters, we might ask ourselves, well, how can that happen? Because right? the, the devil's so strong, the world's powers is so strong against us. But remember, whom we have, right, our Heavenly Father, who right now, presently, is guiding us hand in hand. 
Right, right now, our Heavenly Father is, is walking with us now. He is now our defender and our shield. Right, our Father will never allow us to, even when we try, let go of His hand so that we might fall back and be lost into the world. He will not allow it. For by faith, brothers and sisters, we need to remember we have already overcome the world. By faith, we have already overcome the world. We have already overcome the devil. We have already overcome sin in the world, in the flesh. And what does He promise to overcomers then? This inheritance. See it though. What He promises is not this world, is it? He doesn't promise us this world. He promises us the world to come. But He promises us the, the new heavens and the new earth. That is what we shall inherit. And so for those of you sitting here today who believe, know then that your future is not uncertain. Right? Know that, that God has already mapped all things out. But that doesn't mean then that as believers we sit inactively on our hands. Right? Because God has, has told us how He is working these things out. Right? He tells us how He will keep us from the evil one. He tells us how He will strengthen us against the world and the temptations that come our way. One of the primary ways He does this is what? Through the ordinary means of grace. Which means what? It's so important to, to be at church. Right? It's important to be at church. To be with God's people. To be sitting under the preached Word. To attend to the means of grace that He has given to strengthen the saints. Because it is here on the Lord's Day that He has set apart and made holy that you are most equipped and most made ready to go out into the world the rest of the six days of the week. And you miss that when you neglect to attend to the corporate worship of God's people. The ones, though, who have to be scared and who do have to fear are those, though, who, who do not believe in God. Right? Who do not trust in God. Who do not believe in His Son who do not exercise godliness in their life, these are all people though, who must be scared, who must be nervous, because the power of this world will overcome them. It will take them away. It will sweep them away. Look at verse 8 with me, please. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now this applies to, to all unbelievers, doesn't it? But I think in our context, it's actually speaking more so to professing so-called believers in the church. And so this leads us to our third and our final point this morning, then, which is a warning to those in the church. A warning to those in the church. I think one of the key indicators that we can know that this is kind of focused upon those in the church is that first word, really, that's used to, to describe these people. He says, cowardly. Who are the cowards? Well, the cowards are those who did not maintain their faithful witness unto death like Antipas did. Right? The cowards are the one who were willing to deny Christ 
and confess Caesar as Lord in the first century so that they might escape with their life. Right? The cowardly are those in the church who attended to those pagan trade guild festivals we talked about in those early chapters of the book of Revelation so that they might be able to keep their job and maintain their, their place in their society. Today we might say that, that the cowardly in our own nation are those who have forsaken Orthodox Christian belief in order that they might be accepted by the culture. Right? Those who have abandoned the belief that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. That Jesus is the exclusive way of salvation. Right? Those now today who are willing to call evil good. Those who deny hell. Those who deny the physical bodily return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those who deny that Christ died as a sacrifice and a substitute for sin upon the cross. And that on the cross He bore the wrath of God in order to satisfy divine justice on our behalf. Many of things of which people now today deny so that they might be able to make Christianity more palatable to the unbeliever. That they might be able to make it more appealing and appeasing to the, to the ungodly. But what does God say about them? He says their portion is the lake of fire. Not glory. Right? Not the new heavens. Not the new earth. The, the lake of fire. The second death. And this is the same end, he says, for the faithless or the unbeliever. Those who are detestable before God. He says murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Many of of which are what? Are the type of people that we were reading about in chapters 2 and 3 in those letters to the churches. If you remember that, in the, the church in Pergamum, what did Jesus write about those who had taken hold of the teaching of the Nicolaitans and who had a stumbling block put before them where they were practicing sexual immorality and that they were engaging in all sorts of idolatry. This is the, the same thing that happened in Thyatira with Jezebel, wasn't it? The same type of things here. And so we need to see, brothers and sisters, that although God gives His free grace, and although God extends it and calls upon all people to come and to drink and be filled by it, the grace that He gives is not cheap grace. It's not a non-functional grace. It's a, it's a grace that transforms. It's a grace that transforms. It's a supernatural grace that comes from above. It's a supernatural grace that doesn't lead the believer to live a more wicked life after they say they received it. Rather, it enables us to live righteously for the namesake of our Lord and Savior. Anyone who can come to church and, and then leave out of here and go about practicing sin the rest of the week without any qualms about it has no reason to believe that they have any portion with God in glory. Right? God graciously gives sin to His people so that we might overcome sin in our lives. Right? He, he grants grace to us so that although imperfectly, that we live according to the will of God. That is what He gives us grace for. For those of you who have been attending our Wednesday evening book study, we see how even today God tests the saint, doesn't He? He tests us with trials in order to mature us 
and in order to, to prove our faith. Right? Abraham is a prime, prime example of that, isn't he? He believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. Yet, when God called him to sacrifice his own son, he willingly obeyed and would have done it if God so asked him to follow through with that. And so see, brothers and sisters, even today we are being tested by God. We are being put through trials by God so that we might be made more mature, that our faith might be strengthened, that we might grow in grace. And although we we fail, our goal ought to always be the same thing, that which we are being refined for, which is perfection. Our goal, our aim in the Christian life ought to be living under the will of God in all things at all times. Not to wound our conscience when we sin. Let me ask you, does it wound your conscience when you sin? Does it wound your conscience? When you sin, do you see a a need to, to confess before Almighty God? If someone can sin and their conscience not be pricked by it, and they never see a need to go before the Lord in prayer to confess sin, there's a real problem there, isn't there? But this is the difference though between the believer and the unbeliever. Not that the believer no longer sins, but that when we do sin, we feel contrition over it. And we go before the Lord to confess that sin because we know that Christ is our Advocate. And that Christ has already paid the penalty for those sins. And so we go and we make use of prayer. And we approach God's throne of grace, believing and trusting that God pardons the sins of those who approach Him with all humility. Because we know that the blood of Christ has already cleansed us from our sin. That is the the Spirit of God, brothers and sisters, working in you. When you are pierced by your sin and you go before the Lord in prayer and confess your sin, that is the Spirit working inside of you. That is also God fulfilling His promise in you that He's going to keep you to the end. God's promises never fail. He will complete the salvation that He has began in you. And He will complete it when He returns to put an end to sin and translate us to the state of glory. But this is the good news of of what Christians have to look forward to. right? Those who have found forgiveness for their sins in Christ. right? Because we see that although we were those who, who partook of sins that were detestable, what does Paul say that is, is true of us today? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But we know that isn't true of everyone who sits in the pews of churches, right? And so this is their warning. Right? This is their warning. They've been warned by God. If, if you say you desire to gaze upon the face of your Savior in glory, the question is, do you gaze upon His face now? Because heaven is going to be all about communion with God. Do you have communion with God now? If not, then there's an invitation to you to to come and to drink of it in Christ. Some of you may be thirsty here today and not even know it. Well, what do you do when you're thirsty to get rid of that, that need? You drink. You drink. 
That is what Christ is calling you to do today. To, to go to Christ by faith. And in repentance, laying bare your heart before Him with your mouth wide open and He promises to fill your mouth full with the springs of everlasting life. And for the believer, for the believer here today perhaps who is, who is struggling with temptation and sin, uh, perhaps even assurance of faith, doubt and belief, James tells us what? He tells us to go to God who gives generously without reproach. God welcomes you. He wants His people to come to Him and and make use of Him to cry out to Him. But you have to go to Him. You have to make use of the year of God that you have been given. And so right now, brothers and sisters, if you thirst for more love for God, more hatred for sin, more love for your brethren, if you desire more courage in the midst of trials, strength in the midst of temptations, I implore you to, to make use of God. To go to Him in prayer, for He gives generously He who distributes the waters of everlasting life. May our continual need, though, to go to Him daily to draw from the spring of eternal life show us, though, how much better the new heavens and the new earth shall be. Because there we shall be made full. There we will be complete. There we will be perfected. There we will be not wanting of anything. May it motivate us then to press forward in the Christian life, walking by faith, knowing that God is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us pure and blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. And may it cause us then to continue trusting that He whose Word is trustworthy and true will do that very thing for all of those who love Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and grateful for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have opened our eyes to our need to be filled with the springs of eternal life. And we thank You, Lord, that You have graciously and mercifully distributed them to Your your people who are here today. We ask, Lord, that for those here who have not yet tasted the springs of everlasting life, that, Lord, You would make that known to them this day, that You would fill them up, that You would give them their full, that they would answer the invitation to come and to drink and to be full. And Lord, we pray that You would help us every single day of our life to to see our need to return to the fountain, uh, to continue to receive uh, grace upon grace that we need every day to, to go out into the world and to live in a manner worthy of the calling that You have given to the people of God. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help us to to really think about these things this week. That You would implant these truths deep within the hearts of Your people. That we would not allow Your Word to go in one ear and out of another. And that, Lord, in in thinking about these things, that You would cause us likewise to abound in thanksgiving. Recognizing that it is You who have done all. It is You who have made us a new creature in Christ. It is You who is coming to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. So we thank You and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.